Let's look into the Bibles this morning, see what the Lord has to say. The title of our message this morning is simply, An Ending Love, An Ending Love. And we heard that message in song and from the choir in just a moment ago. And so we'll look at it from the passages this morning. We'll look here and then we'll also spend some time in the passage that Caleb read out of John chapter number 13 in just a little while. Mark 14 this morning, we begin there in verse number 12 and following. The first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water, follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say to the goodman of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city, and found as he said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Evening he cometh with the twelve. And we'll just leave off reading right there. The evening cometh with the twelve. In our text this morning, we begin, we left off last week looking at Judas, and we'll spend some more time in these days to come considering um, Judas and his betrayal. But we come to verse number 12, and we come to the Passover meal. And there's so much that could be said there. I sure do appreciate the time when Brother Roy Lowe, I remember when he was here on a Sunday morning, and he gave a demonstration of the Passover meal and all the symbolic and all the elements that were there. It was such a wonderful time and such a blessing. And we could spend so much time just going back through that. And we may touch on that on Sundays to come. But here Jesus is preparing to, uh, to partake of this Passover meal. And the disciples asked our Lord, where are we going to go to do this? Where will you have us go that we might prepare and we might plan and we might partake of this Passover meal? And of course, we know that the Passover meal was a memorial that was established and commanded by God to remember the deliverance of the nation from bondage that when they were in Egypt to bring them out of that bondage. And so it was there for that nation of Israel as a commemoration. And they were to do this year after year. As a matter of fact, that's why all the the crowd that's why all the throngs of people were in Jerusalem for this particular time as a matter of fact that's why Jesus was there too and so much significance as to the as to Jesus and his partake, participation in this meal and and the changing of it and the significance of why it was there and we'll look at that in the days to come But in this meal, a lamb was killed, and the blood of that lamb, uh, at least going back to the Exodus, the blood of that lamb uh, was to be put upon the doorpost and the lintel of each Jewish home household there in Egypt. And that lamb was then prepared, it was roasted and eaten by the family in the house. It would be, there in Egypt, it would be the final meal uh, that they were to partake as, with a family together while they were in bondage. But it would also be the thing that would prepare, prepare them for the leaving, for, the, for the, the breaking of that bondage. And each element, as I mentioned a moment ago, 
of the meal was very symbolical and held great meaning and significance for the Jewish people. And that night, back in Exodus, the story of the Exodus, that night that death angel would pass by, and if he saw the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel, he would pass over, and, uh, and he would not take that firstborn in that family, and if the door was not applied, if the door was not there, excuse me, the blood was not applied on the door, and if it was not there, then certainly death would pass upon that household. And the Lord had told the nation of Israel to keep this as a memorial. Exodus 12 and 14, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it, a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So this is what's taking place. This is what has brought all the crowds there. Now Jesus, of course, in accordance to his own words, would keep that memorial feast. And we'll study in a couple Sundays from now that Passover meal, that evening that Jesus and his disciples would hold even greater significance and greater implications that would be attached to it because of the fact that Jesus was here and, and the, the fact that what that Old Testament feast pointed to was the completion through Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that more in the days to come. So we see the preparation of the meal. Where are we going to go eat it? How is it going to look? What are we to do? In verses 12 through 17 that we read. In these verses we see, uh, what I want to mention this morning is we see the omniscience, the all-knowing character of God. The omniscience and all-knowing character of God. God knows everything. God knows everything. Here we have the infinite knowledge of Christ about all things. Lord, where are we going to go and eat this meal? Where are we going to go and prepare for this meal? Where wilt thou go that we find this place? And in verse number 13, Jesus sends two of his disciples. Luke tells us that it is Peter and John. The instructions that Jesus gives them is this. He says, you're to go into the city. They are in Bethany. There's a bit of a walk, a bit of a travel from Bethany to Jerusalem. He says, you're to go into the city, and there you shall meet a man bearing a pitcher of water. Now, this was typically done. If you would find a man there in that day, it was typically done. Uh, you would have seen a, a woman carrying a pitcher of water. Obviously, this was a man. Obviously, this was a slave. He's carrying a pitcher of water. And the Bible says, Jesus says to them, Follow him. Once you see this man, how many people are in Jerusalem? There are absolutely thousands and thousands of people. He says, go into the city. You'll see a man carrying a pitcher. He says, to follow him. Now, when he's about to enter into a house, when you see him getting ready to go into a house, after you've followed him, he'll be entering in. And as he's getting ready to go into the house, he says, inquire of the, the master or the goodman or the owner of that house. And say to the owner, the master, speaking of Jesus, ask, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He gives them specific instructions on how to find this. 
And in verses 15, he says, they found it just as he said. We come to that passage and he says, they go in and they find it just like Jesus said. Jesus knew and relayed every detail of the event. Jesus has perfect knowledge. Understand the omniscient, all-knowing perfection of what God knows about every single detail of his life, but also of our lives as well. Job 37 and 16, he is perfect in knowledge. Psalm 147 and 5, he understanding, his understanding has no limit. Romans 11 and 33, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Uh, Jesus had not put these things together. He had not, do we have no indication that he had met this man and prepared this thing? As a matter of fact, the disciples simply come to Jesus. They initiate the question, where are we going to have the Passover meal? And he begins to detail for them exactly where they're going to be. Jesus knows all things. And Jesus knows everything about us. He knows everything about us. He sees our every act. He sees our every act. He knows every secret thing. And he knows every secret place. Whether it's a a, a part of a building or a part of our minds. God sees and he knows it all. He knows our very thoughts. He knows our very words. We may fool our parents. We may fool our teachers. We may fool our bosses. We may fool our pastors. We may fool our friends. We may even fool our spouses on an occasion. But we'll never fool God. We'll never fool God. He knows every detail of our lives. Even the details that we don't want anyone else to know. And I guarantee you, in all of our lives, there are things that we're just glad that nobody knows about us. But understand, Jesus knows. Jesus sees it all and he knows it all. This ought to, the fact that Jesus knows and sees it all, ought to give us pause. It ought to give us pause every time we start down a path of wrong. It ought to cause us to just sit back and just wait a minute. Before we ever go down that path thinking nobody knows and nobody will ever know, let me just simply say God knows and God sees. It ought to give us pause when we start to go down a direction that says, I'll get by with this. Nobody will ever know. And one day, one day because God knows, we can be assured that one day God will knock on our door, the door of our life, and he'll answer. He'll ask the question, what about this? What about that? How did he know? Because he knows everything. Psalm 139, thou knowest my downsetting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down uh, and are acquainted with all of my ways. Understand that God knows us. Knowing that God knows us ought to keep us from sin. Knowing that God knows us ought to keep us from sin. But also knowing that God knows us ought to comfort us in our trials. Whatever you're going through this morning, 
Whatever you're dealing with as a trial and a circumstance and a very difficult aspect of your life, understand that God knows that. You ever think sometimes that maybe God didn't know where I'm at? God didn't see this trial I'm in. God didn't know the circumstance. He didn't know how hard it's been. Certainly he does. He knows full well every detail about our lives. He is omniscient, all-knowing. Verse number 17, in the evening he cometh with the twelve. He cometh with the twelve. All has been set in place. And Jesus arrives with his disciples there at that upper chamber to participate in that Passover meal. It's now evening and Jesus is with his disciples in that place. And he's preparing to eat the Passover meal. And then in Mark's gospel, from Mark chapter 14, verses 12 and following, Mark gives nine verses to the events that took place in that upper room. Nine verses, and there's so much we can learn here, and we will come back to this because they're so significant, so much insight that Mark's, Mark gives us. Here in these nine verses, we find, we find the ousting of Judas, and Judas has already been mentioned but he's, he's oust, he, he's, he's recognized, and the Lord calls him out. We find the ordinance of the Lord's table being instituted here and being given. And so we find in these few verses in Mark, and, and we will look at these in more detail in days to come. But this morning, I want us to examine another event that took place that evening. Here in the upper room with the disciples, they're getting ready to partake of the Passover meal. There's so much that Jesus taught. And turn with me now to the Gospel of John, chapter number 13. And here we'll spend some time this morning looking at one event that took place there in that upper room. Mark gives nine verses to what took place, but John gives here five chapters to the events of that evening. Five chapters he gives to the events of that evening. Here, just hours before the cross, at this meal, Jesus enters into his most personal and, and, and intimate fellowship with his disciples. This is the, one of the most sweetest and comforting passages from John's gospel that we find anywhere, I believe, in all of the New Testament. Because Jesus enters in to a very personal and very sweet and intimate time. He's preparing them, in fact, for the time when he will not be with them. He's preparing them for the time and for the events that will soon take place. The death the burial and the resurrection. He's preparing them for that particular time. He's preparing them for the time when he will go away. He begins out of John's gospel. He begins talking to them about the giving of the Holy Spirit. He begins talking about heaven and going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself. Where, where I am, there you may be also. Praise God for those words. He's preparing them. He begins talking to them about heaven. He's talking about preparing. He's talking about the time when he will come to receive them. In these passages we find the teaching of the true vine. Abiding in the vine. 
We find the, the, the passages of peace and of power and God abiding with them. All of these are found. And I don't know that we'll spend a message on Sunday morning in all of these details. But there's so much here to grasp. And I encourage you to go back and read John 13 through 17. And find out all that Jesus taught up there in that upper room. We have to understand that at this particular point, the public ministry of our Lord has ended. For three and a half years, He's walked on planet earth. He's ministered to people. He's healed. He's cast out demons. He's, he's given sight to the blind. Those who are deaf, He's given hearing. He's done many, many miracles He's the Messiah and he's done everything to show forth himself as the Messiah to the people. But here in this particular place, at this particular time, his public ministry had ended. If you go back with the chapter number 12 of John's gospel and look at verse number 36. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may be children of light. These things spake Jesus and note and departed and did hide himself from them. Jesus would not voluntarily, or let me back up, he would voluntarily, but he would be brought before the public because he would allow it to happen. But Jesus did not avail himself to the public. He did not step out. He did not go back into the temple he, at that point in time to teach and to preach. He did not confront them. But his public ministry had ended. He had been the light. And he still is the light. And here at this particular time, the ministry of the cross, the public ministry was coming to an end. And now Jesus is looking at the ministry of the cross. Look at verse number 1 of chapter number 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world. He loved them to the end. Here the public ministry is ending. The cross ministry is just about to begin. His hour is come. His hour is come. Jesus also oftentimes mentioned about the hour not having come. Now it's here. This is the reason why he came to the earth. Here this hour that would come would be the redemptive plan for all mankind for all ages. Now, we would have not thought it very strange. He ends his public ministry. Now he's looking at the cross. We would not thought it strange if at this point, if our Lord was all that he was about to go through... And he knew full well, remember he's on mission, all that was about to happen to him, all, he knew full well all this in advance. We wouldn't have thought it necessarily strange if knowing all of this was about to happen, if Jesus just somehow just took a couple hours away. I mean, who would have thought it wrong of him? I mean, he's getting ready to go to the cross. He knows it all full well. If Jesus just said, look, let me just have some time out here. Let me just go away and, and just let me meditate on this a little while. Let me sit and think about this a little while. A couple hours away, all to myself. If he could have just somehow at this point in time saying, you know what? At this point, I just need some me time. Just some me time. Me time to get away. Just for a little bit. How about a, a few getaway hours to prepare myself? 
Um, and, and maybe he could have, we, maybe it wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have thought it all bad if maybe even Jesus would just clammed up. So look, I'm done. I, I got all this waiting upon me. I got all this weight of the sin of the world that's going to be brought upon me. If he had said, I'm not going to do it, say anything else. All I've said, I, I'm said and I'm done. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Maybe Jesus being fully God as well as fully man, he could have, maybe he could have done this. Maybe he could have zapped a few people. I mean, he had all these enemies after all. Uh, all these people that were against him, all these people that were antagonistic against him, uh, just to get a little bit of uh, justified vengeance, if you will. Uh, he's going to the cross. Now would be a good time to just settle some old scores along the way. After all, couldn't Jesus, maybe he could be thinking this way, couldn't Jesus could have thought this? Nobody's ministering to me. Why aren't they ministering to me? It's all about me. I'm getting ready to go to the cross. Where are all these people that are now to minister to me? But Jesus didn't do any of that. He didn't do any of that. Remember our key verse in Mark's gospel? Chapter 10, verse number 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Key verse. Why did Jesus come? He didn't come so that he might be ministered to. Although we would not have thought it necessarily wrong had he had taken that stance. But he came to minister. Even while he was looking at the cross, Jesus never ceased ministering to people. Sometimes we can get a little cranky, can't we? When we think that people aren't ministering to us. When we think they ought to be. It's somehow interesting that we always have the idea of we know when we think people should be ministering to us. And we get a little cranky when it doesn't happen that way. After all, nobody called. Nobody sent me any cards. Nobody sent me any flowers. They could care less if I was dead or alive. I've heard all of these things. Probably you have too. They knew I was upset at them down there because I hadn't been to church in well over a year. That church... Really, they don't ever have anything for me down there anyhow. You know, all those programs for that other crowd, they don't have anything that fits my age group. There's nothing there for me. They don't really care about me. I think I'm just going to go find another church, somebody that ministers to me, somebody that meets my needs, somebody that cares for me and is ministering to me personally. You know, I'm glad Jesus didn't get upset and quit because nobody ministered to him. I'm glad he didn't get upset and just say, you know what, I'm done with y'all. Nobody ministered to me. Nobody reached out to me. Don't they know I'm going to the cross? Don't they understand all the things I've been teaching them? These disciples have walked with me and been with me all this time. Don't they understand? Don't they know? I'm glad Jesus didn't quit. I'm glad he didn't get upset. I'm glad he didn't take the attitude sometimes that we get. No, Jesus didn't get upset and Jesus didn't quit. He didn't even slow down, but he kept on pouring himself into these disciples' lives. He kept on pouring himself into their lives. Here we see the ministry of his own. The ministry of his own. Look with me again out of verse number 1. In the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own 
Please understand that. Having loved his own, he knew that his hour was come. He knew the cross was there. And the Bible says he loved his own. Let me ask you this morning. Are you one of his own? Are you born again? Are you one of his own? He says he loves his own. He loved them to the end. The Bible tells us out of verse number one. He loved them to the end. The end here is not the cross. He just didn't love them to the cross. That would have been far enough. He didn't love them till he was finished at the cross. It hadn't had anything to do with that. The end here is not the termination of his love, but the end here is the extent of his love. He loved them to the end. The extent of his love. Understand that Jesus has not stopped loving any of us. Jesus has not stopped loving you. Even though there may be trials and there may be difficulties, Jesus has not stopped loving you. The extent of his love is to the end. It's forever and forever. Jeremiah 31 and 3. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. John 15 and 13. Greater love hath no man than this. Jesus here in this passage and at this particular time had his eye to heaven. Understand, he was looking forward to getting home. It's good to travel, isn't it, folks? But it's good to get home. It's good to get home. Jesus was looking forward to getting home. He had his eye on heaven. He had his eye upon the cross. It was just hours from the cross. But understand, he had his eye upon you and his eye upon me. He had his eye upon these disciples. He loved his own to the very end. The extent. He loves the saints. And he loves me. And he loves you. Here in these verses we see, I believe, one of the sweetest and most tender aspects of the ministry of our Lord. To his disciples. It's also to us. Verses 3 through 5. Let's back up and read verse 2 as well. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Here, Jesus, again, one of the most sweetest times in all the Bible, I believe, here. If we were to go back and read John chapter 12, we would see the story, and we noted it out of Mark's gospel as well, that we see the feet of Jesus, his feet were anointed. Remember the breaking of the alabaster box and Mary coming in, anointing the head and the feet of Jesus, washing uh, his feet with her hair. In John chapter 12, we see the feet feet of Jesus being anointed. Here we get to John chapter 13, and we have Jesus washing the, the feet of his disciples. His were anointed. Uh, he's washing their feet. Our feet, I'll, let me just say this. To me, well, I don't know how to say this. Feet are ugly. Feet are ugly. I don't know anybody that says, boy, look at these. You know, let me, let me just take, let me take. To me, they're ugly, okay? 
Feet are the things that carry us through this world. Feet are the things that get dirty, smelly as we walk in this world. Feet are the things that he's dealing with. Jesus was anointed. But theirs needed to be washed. In that day, they wore sandals. The roads were dusty and dirty. You picked up the dirt on your feet as you walked. No matter where you went, there was no concrete. There was no asphalt. You picked up dirt no matter where you went. Every time you went outside, this dirt was symbolic of the... Uh, of the defilement of sin and that it was also symbolic in Jesus washing of the feet was this was symbolic of Jesus washing the defilement that would they would pick up as they walked throughout this world Jesus feet again were anointed every thing that in every place where he went and everything that he did, the Bible tells us that his was holy, his life was holy, harmless, and undefiled. But the disciples' feet needed to be washed from the defilement of this world. His ministry to us is the ministry of love. His ministry to us is a ministry of care. His ministry to us is a ministry of cleansing. His ministry to us is a ministry that continues even to today. Jesus laid aside his garment. He tells us out of verse number 4. He laid aside his garment. The garments of Jesus are often spoken of in the Bible. It's not the first time Jesus has laid aside garments. He laid aside his garments of glory. We find in Philippians chapter number 2. When he came to this earth. When he came as a babe in a manger. He laid aside his garments of glory. He picked up garments of, of a servant. Here he picks up a towel. Took upon the form of a servant. Was made in the likeness of man. He picks up the garments of a servant. Of a servant. His garments in just a few hours. We find in the. In the Gospels, his garments would be stripped, place a, a mocking robe upon his back. He would be stripped of his garments. He would be beaten. He would be mocked. He would be sped upon. The Bible tells us early on about his garments that just touching the hem of his garments brought healing. Here at the cross, in just a few hours, they would again strip him of his garments and they would cast lots for them. There at the foot of the cross. Jesus would be placed in the tomb with the burial garments. There he would leave those burial garments in the tomb. Why? Because he didn't need them anymore. He'd leave those aside. But he'd pick up again glorified garments. He'd pick up garments that were, that were heavenly garments. He had sent up into Acts chapter number 1. He had glorified garments. He ascended back up into heaven. And the Bible tells us that he's coming again soon. And he'll be wearing victorious garments. A vesture dipped in blood. That's the garments of Jesus. Here we see in this passage that Jesus lays aside his garments. And the Bible tells us that he took a towel. He poured water into a basin. And begin to wash the disciples' feet. And begin to wipe them with a towel. Now I want us to remember. Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything. 
He knows every detail of every life that's in that room. And he knows every detail of every life that's in this room. Jesus is omniscient. Now let's get the picture in our mind. Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything. He sees everything. And he stands up. He lays aside his outer garment. He puts upon a towel. And he pours water into the basin. And then he begins to go around to his disciples. Jesus humbly kneels down to wash the defiled, dirty feet of the disciples. Again, remember, he knows everything. He's all-knowing. He knows the events ahead. And think about it. He comes to Philip, maybe. Philip, who misunderstood. Lord, show us the way. And Jesus says, I've been with you all this time, and you don't know the way. You don't know who I am. He comes to Philip, and he tenderly takes his feet and he begins to wash Philip's feet and dries them with the towel. Next he comes to maybe Thomas, the one who doubted. Certainly it's not him. God knows this, but yet he takes Thomas and he washes the the dirty, defiled feet of Thomas. He comes to, to James and he comes to John, who Jesus knew in just a short period they would fall asleep. When Jesus would be in the garden, he would say, watch and pray. Instead of watching and praying, they were falling asleep. And he would come back and he would find them. Jesus knew it. But what did he do? He washed their feet. How about Peter? Who would publicly deny him. He would publicly deny and curse that he ever knew Jesus. Look at verse number 6 through 10. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Uh, Peter knew that this was the job of a slave. This was the job not of a Messiah, but of a slave. And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know Hereafter, Peter said to him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. The idea there, and the word part there is the idea of fellowship. If I wash you not, you can have no fellowship with me. And Simon Peter, oh Simon Peter, this impulsive Whatever comes to mind comes out the mouth. He said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus, and this is the key to the entire passage. And Jesus saith unto him, he that is washed needeth not to save, needeth not uh, save to wash his feet, but is clean ever wit, and ye are clean. He says, but not all, and that's significant as well. This number, verse number 12 is key to the passage. You see, he says, if I wash your feet, you cannot have fellowship. But you don't need to be washed all the through. Peter says, just wash all of me. And the Lord says, it's not that, Peter, it's not that. You see, he that is washed needed to save to wash his feet. You don't need that entire washing here, he says, Peter. This is the entire washing is a full bathing or a cleansing, a purging that takes place once and forever at salvation. Peter, we don't need to go there again. You're saved, you're born again. It need not be replaced. Listen, once saved, if truly biblically saved, forever saved. Amen? 
There's a regular and there's a daily cleansing that needs, that we need in our lives as we walk through life and we walk into this world. You've been washed thoroughly. That's that of salvation. That does not need to be replaced. But the issue here is not sonship, but it's fellowship. What needs to be cleansed on a regular and on a daily basis is this issue of sin in our lives, of our daily walk. As we walk into this world, we become defiled. We let things in. We let things come out. It's the issue of sanctification. You've been saved. But to have that fellowship and continue that fellowship, there needs to be that cleansing daily of the feet, symbolic of that. Now in verse 10 and 11, he comes to Judas. The latter part of verse number 10, he says, But not all, for he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, he had taken his garments and was set down, and he said to them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for I am so. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought so to wash one another's feet. For I have given unto you an example, that you should do as I have done unto you. Here he comes to Judas, the betrayer. He knows full well what Judas would do. He knows full well uh, what would take place. And yet I can only imagine that Jesus in his humility and his tenderness. He takes the feet of Jesus. Of Judas rather. And he places them into the basin. And he begins to wash his feet. You're clean. All of you are clean. But not this one. And at this point in time Judas. A great wonderful privilege and opportunity. Could have said Lord. Thou art my Lord. Thou art my Savior. If anyone needed to say, Lord, wash me through and through, it was Judas. But understand that in God's foreknowledge and in God's omniscience, God still loved even to the very end. He washes Judas's feet. He loved even Judas to the very end. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Aren't you glad for this kind of grace? Aren't you glad for this kind of love? Aren't you glad for this kind of picture of God's love for us? Now, we're here this morning as we close our time together. Let me ask you. Is there any defilement that needs to be cleansed this morning? We walk in this old world and it's so easy for us to just to get off track. Get off into the gutter. And get off into the edges. And allow things to just defile us. The things that we see. The places we go. The things that we say. The things that we hear said. They defile us. Our attitudes. Our actions. Our reactions. So easy to get defiled. And there needs to be, because we're into the world, there needs to be a daily cleansing, a time in the Word, a time of asking God to cleanse our hearts. Lord, search my heart. Show me, is there any wicked way in me? You know, I think we as 2022 Christians and, and abundantly blessed 
America. We just say, ah, it's not the big deal. Ah, it's okay. Really nothing here. Nothing wrong with that. I can dabble here for a while. I'll be okay. And yet we're defiled. And how long has it been since we really got honest with God about our lives? How long has it been since we truly allowed the Bible to examine us? And we put our life alongside the truth of his word. And we say, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Lord, cleanse me. Not the issue of salvation. I know I'm saved. And I trust that you do this morning. But Lord, I've allowed things to come in my life that I know you don't want there. And they've kept me from living for you as I ought. They've kept me from serving. Uh, They've taken my attention. They've taken uh, my desires and put them on something that's lesser than you. And your word and your work. God, forgive me. You know, I wonder. Let me just simply say this morning. I wonder why in churches, good churches, just like this one, that are altars are oftentimes the last place that we ever visit. I'm not simply saying that this is the only place that we can meet with God. But I'm simply saying this, it is oftentimes the furthest thing from our minds. It's oftentimes the last place that we visit, upon our knees, the place of seeking God and His forgiveness. And God says, come, can have no part. Come, this is a matter of sanctification, cleansing. Come, you can have no part, no fellowship. But I want the fellowship. I desire the fellowship. Oh, would you let me cleanse you this morning? Oh, we got to acknowledge it. If we confess our sin, He is who is God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ah, could it be this morning that there may be someone here. God's put His finger on an area of our lives. He says, I need to cleanse that this morning if you'll let me. Would you let me cleanse it? There may be some here this morning, some may be watching by way of live stream, saying, you know what, I'm, I feel like I'm in that place. I'm not at, uh, openly, I'm not betraying the Lord, I'm not outselling the Lord for 30 pieces of silver, but I'm not clean, I'm not clean. I've never been clean from the inside out. I've never had the, the blood applied to my life, that my sins have been forgiven, and I know that heaven's my home. That may be you this morning. Can you give a Bible reason as to why if you died today, you know with assurance, Bible assurance, heaven is my home. Maybe you hear this morning you need that full cleansing, that cleansing that comes through Jesus Christ, death, burial, and the resurrection, putting our full faith and confidence and trust in Him. As a Christian, as I mentioned, maybe you're here this morning, God's put His finger on your heart. Lord, I need this cleansing. Today, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to get it right. I'm going to live for you. I want to have that fellowship with you. Let's bow our hearts in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, you're so good to us. And Lord, so often we get out of sorts. We get distracted. We get troubled on every side. We allow the issues of life to to come in upon us and burden us down. and We get so caught up in the world. We're 
planting our roots in a place where we shouldn't. We're strangers and pilgrims just passing through. But we act as though this will be our eternal home. And God, I pray this morning, if there's someone here that needs to be saved, today would be a day of saving faith for that individual. I pray for the Christian as well. Lord, all of us as we walk into this world, if we're not careful, we just pick up the defilements and they're so easily because we're prone to wonder. Lord, may today, may all of us in this room, maybe those who are watching by way of live stream, would say, I want to make sure there's nothing between me and the Savior. I want God's blessings. I want to be used. I want God's power in my life. And I pray that there would be that obedience to the Holy Spirit even now. For your glory and for your namesake, we ask it. Thank you so much for the picture. Thank you so much for the example that you've given us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.